about four and a half miles into the race, I decided to do an accounting because it, I'd just been playing the game and enjoying it. So I look across the track and see my teammate Frank Shorter and notice that he's in first place. So then I go back about 100 yards and uh, there's my other teammate, Jack Batchelor, and uh, he's in second. So then I was looking for the next place and lo and behold, it was me. I was in third place. Episode 59, Jeff Galloway, Long Distance Running and the Olympic Summer Games. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis Parsons. Today's guest is Jeff Galloway. Among many achievements, Jeff competed in the 10,000-meter event at the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany. He is also the author of more than 20 books, including North America's best-selling running book, aptly named Galloway's Book on Running. He writes a monthly column for Runner's World and speaks at more than 200 events each year, motivating runners of all ages and abilities. Jeff, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Travis, it's great to be here. Good to have you. So I listed off just a few things about you, but I mean, you're a, a man of many accomplishments. Can you take some time and tell our listeners a little bit more about you and uh, what got you started in running from the get-go? I was a fat kid at age 13 and hated exercise. I uh, had no skill development and uh, my father had been in the Navy, so um, we had moved around quite a bit. I went to 13 schools my first seven years. In the eighth grade, uh, the uh, he got out of active duty service. We moved to Atlanta, and I enrolled in a school that required boys to go out for athletics after school. So reality set in with the physical activity, and I, uh, I really uh, didn't know what to do. So I got to know some of the other lazy kids at school, and during the winter, most of them were going out for winter cross country. And I said, well, that, that can't be easy. And they said, well, it is because the cross country coach is the most lenient in the school. And you can lie to him. You can tell him that you're going to run on the trails in the woods, whereas all you do is jog 200 yards to the woods and hide out. And I did that <laughs> for two days. But on the third day, an older kid that I liked came up to me and said, Galloway, you're running with us today. I guess he sort of busted me, you know, from what I was doing. Um, well, I decided I was going to uh, uh, get out to the edge of the woods and grab my hamstring and feign an injury, but they were funny, and they were telling some good jokes. So I hung on as long as I could, which really was not very far the first day. But on each successive day, I discovered many things about myself. First of all, that I loved the way I felt even after a really hard workout and the friendships I was developing were real honest friendships and they have existed to this day. But within 10 weeks, I was totally transformed. I, uh, I, I wanted more of this, this thing that was going on through my endurance running and um, 57 years later, I'm still enjoying it like I did then. 
and still fit as ever, obviously. Well, I have uh, really been fortunate to, uh, and I think this this is part of it. I was I really did not show any signs of rising to an advanced level of performance during my first ten years of running, and uh, as a result, uh, because I didn't progress very rapidly. I, I studied the sport. I interviewed coaches. I talked to athletes that were faster than I was, and I tried to figure out what was going on. And in the process of processing all of this information, uh, I discovered some things that uh, allowed me to really start uh, getting better after about 10 years. And uh, it was really during the last two years that I really made tremendous uh, progress. And uh, that's when I qualified for the Olympics and, and ran in the Olympics. Wow. So was there a moment or a time that it just really clicked for you? Or is this just a gradual growing love of, of running? It was, a, it was a love for running right from the start. I did not want to go back to the the fat lazy person that I had been earlier in life uh, but I really never had a, a, a one of those eureka moments oh I figured it all out but running is one of those activities that is very individual and there's so many possible ways that an individual can improve that um, you really have to find what works for you in my case, I studied trends and I studied patterns and I developed tools that gave me more control uh, over my fatigue and, and reduced injuries and so forth. And so my mission, uh, went, since I started coaching people back in 1973, was to help people improve the quality of their life through running. And I'm passionate about trying to do that, and I will not rest. Uh, I keep looking for ways and finding new ways of allowing people to enjoy this and not get injured. Yeah, I think that's important. I I actually really enjoy running, but I've broken my, my ankle and twisted it so many times in life that I've been told by the podiatrist to stay off of it, not stay off of it, but you know, keep from high-impact uh, exercise. So it makes me wonder if I couldn't uh, follow a little bit of your leadership and, and, and actually maintain a running lifestyle and without injuring it. I'm sure my, my running style and my strider are, are not exactly fluid as they should be. Well, uh, the research shows that uh, as, as a, a person continues to run and runs regularly, uh, I, he or she will tend to become more and more efficient. The body intuitively searches for the most efficient way to run, but you have to run regularly. Uh, now, running per se uh, does not tend to cause injuries. It's non-stop running that causes injuries. The anthropologists that study ancient man tell me that we were inherently designed to run non-stop approximately 200 yards. Now, we can adapt to running much farther than that, but with each successive increase, mile by mile, we build up more stress, uh, nonstop running does, on the weak links that we have. 
if you, uh, and this is why I developed my run, walk, run method, which I think Travis could really help you a lot. And what it does is right from the beginning, you insert a strategic walk break that allows the body to catch up, allows the fatigue of the muscle to be erased and uh, takes away the stress buildup on those uh, areas that could be injured. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I might have to look into that and give it a try. I would love to go back to it. I've just always, uh, once I was told that, I just assumed, well, I have to ride bikes and, and hike and, and skip the running part of it. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Well, I have a lot of information up on my website, jeffgalloway.com, that you can uh, find there. And if you're looking for one source book that explains the method, it's simply the book Run, Walk, Run that came out uh, a year ago. Well, good. I'll look that up. So you spend a lot of time motivating people, obviously, to get out there and to run, you know, based on what you've experienced in life. You went from being overweight to becoming very fit and really getting into the exercise lifestyle and, and your body obviously appreciated it. And it was a, uh, you know, it was a, a mind freeing thing to do for you. How do you encourage people, and especially kids, to get out there and start doing it? Well, I uh, have found that um, you can't really drag anybody kicking and screaming into something like running. Uh, most people have had two different types of experiences with running. Uh, most folks have had some good experiences and have felt good after runs, and uh, and they've also, the same person, has had some bad experiences when they went too far and they got exhausted or they hurt or uh, they puked. I'm against all of those things, by the way, and particularly <laughs> as they uh, apply to running. But um, what I explain is is what running does for you, and that is it turns on brain circuit for, for a better attitude better than any activity that's ever been studied. It turns on vitality circuits in the brain better than any activity. And it turns on the empowerment circuit uh, so that after you do a run, you feel the confidence and the well-being to be able to confront other problems in life. And uh, I hear the stories every single day about this. And it's just very exciting to see how people uh, can change their lives as I did uh, by simply going out uh, every other day and uh, getting those uh, brain circuits turned on. My family and I recently watched uh, the movie McFarland with Kevin Costner. What a about, great movie. Uh, did you see that? Oh, man, it was fantastic. What an inspiring movie. Well, it, it's, it's a true story. And uh, what was remarkable, though, is that they really got it right. I mean, I have experienced uh, those uh, situations, and I have coached kids. And I'll tell you, it the the movie really brought out the power that comes from uh, overcoming the challenges of running, and then getting into the mental benefits that accrue from that. And um, the most interesting uh, aspect of that movie to me, the chill bump moments, were at the end where they brought back all these kids 
uh, farmer kids as adults and showed what they were doing. Right. And almost every one of them had come back to McFarland and, and were making a difference in that community. And these kids had had very little chance when uh, when they got on that cross country team of being able to go out on their own, get a good education and, and do what they're doing now. Uh, it, it's just very well known in uh, a lot of studies uh, about how running also turns on brain circuits for quicker thinking, for better judgments. And if you, uh, even in my day, there were studies showing that cross-country runners across the board in high school tended to have the best grades in the school. They tended to be the leaders in the school. And other studies over the years have shown that a lot of the kids in cross-country programs did not start out that way. They really... Uh, change their brain as they ran. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so important to get the kids started on something like that to just to demonstrate to them that they have the ability to control their life and their emotions and well-being. Um, if they don't, if nobody shows them that they can do that, they can really get in a rut. Well, one of the most motivating things that I can tell people is that they have control over the aches and pains for the most part. They have control over exhaustion, and they don't have to go there. So by applying strategic uh, methods and tools, uh, each person can enjoy running without the bad stuff. Some mud and obstacle runs are built for pain. Some are built so that you have to train. But Muckfest MS is built for laughs. Muckfest MS is the fun mud and obstacle 5K for everyone. There's no special training required. All you need is a sense of humor and a pair of sneakers. All fundraising proceeds benefit the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Sign up at muckfestms.com. That's M-U-C-K-F-E-S-T-M-S dot com. We'll see you in the mud. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly fishing excursions, climb thousand foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org. So, as we both mentioned, you were in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany. Can you go into the feeling, the elation of finding out for the first time that you made the Olympic team? 
yes, I had um, a somewhat unique story in that uh, I was a, a severe underdog uh, during coming into the Olympic trials. I, first of all, didn't qualify to get into the trials until January, and that was in the marathon. And, and the marathon was clearly my better event. Uh, so I knew I was going to be in the trials um, during the last six months. Uh, but I really wanted to also qualify for the 10K, but I needed about a minute and a half to be able to do that. I had to get a PR by a minute and a half, which was unlikely. Um, two months before the trials, uh, one of my teammates on the Florida Track Club, Frank Shorter, uh, told us that he had arranged for some very inexpensive housing uh, up at Vail, Colorado for altitude training. And it didn't take me a second to tell him that I was in for that. So during those last two months, Frank, uh, Jack Batchelor, who had been on the 68 Olympic team, and I trained up there at very high elevation. And I came down after those two months and ran in the national championships, which was my very last chance to qualify to get into the Olympic trials. And I improved two minutes, a two-minute PR, and qualified to get into the trials. And, wow. and that was an exhilarating moment by itself. I didn't have any illusions that I would make the team in the 10K, but I thought I had a great chance in the marathon. Uh, the, the, uh, in 1972, they ran this, the Olympic trials as the Olympics were being run. So the 10K was actually, uh, competed in one week before the marathon trials were. And so, uh, since I'd qualified, I for sure was going to run in the 10K and I did. Uh, but I was ranked 12th and you had to finish in the top three in order to, uh, to go uh, to the Olympics. Didn't have any illusions that I would make the team, but I wanted to be a part of it because I had qualified. It was a hot day, so I had that going for me, having trained in Florida for two years before that. Uh, and once the gun fired for the, the final in the 10K, um, I knew the dangers of hot weather. So I dropped back and I assumed last position, and I was in last place for a full mile. And then right as I uh, passed the mile mark, um, I caught up with the next to last guy and passed him and uh, saw somebody up ahead that looked like they were slowing down. So I put my, my focus on that next person, and I made it a game. I just would try to catch up with the next person and, and then pass and uh, because most of the other runners went out way too fast in the heat, I was able to do that. About four and a half miles into the race, I decided to do an accounting because it, I'd just been playing the game and enjoying it. So I look across the track and see my teammate Frank Shorter and notice that he's in first place. That's where he should be. So then I go back about 100 yards and uh, there's my other teammate that I trained up at uh, Vail, Colorado with Jack Batchelor, and uh, he's in second. So then I was looking for the next place, and lo and behold, it was me. I was in third place, <laughs> and it, it was exhilarating, but then 
the the pressure starts going on. Is there somebody that is sneaking up on me? Well, there wasn't. And uh, about another couple of laps, and I passed my teammate Jack, uh, finished in second place. And um, then then the drama uh, unfolded, and that was that coming off the final curve, my teammate Jack Bachelor was in third place, and it looked like the Florida Track Club was going to have a sweep of the 10K in the Olympic trials. But there was somebody coming up on him fairly fast, and about 30 yards from the finish, Jack was exhausted, and he was weaving on the track, and um, a, a fella who was the son of the mayor of Eugene, Oregon, and, and the crowd was going wild, John Anderson, passed Jack and, and moved into third place. And Jack was weaving badly. He, he bumped John as John went by him, and Jack was disqualified from that race. And I've never seen this happen in 10K before, but Jack was taken out of the results. Now, the significance of that was that the marathon was my better event. And if I had uh, uh, qualified a week later in the marathon, then I would have dropped out of the 10K and let Jack move up. But that was no longer possible. So Jack and I ran together several times during that next week. And we concocted a strategy to um, so that Jack could qualify. And the strategy was that Jack tended to go out too fast. That's what got him into trouble in the 10K. And he didn't think he was going to have to qualify in the, in the marathon. So he his longest run had only been about 17 miles. Well, <clears throat> I was a metronome for pacing. So uh, I told Jack that I would take care of the pace. And uh, I did. Uh, we went out conservatively. We were in about... 100th place at the mile, and we just steadily moved up through the rest of the race. And at 21 miles, we moved into a tie for uh, third place. And uh, I was Jack's cheerleader and watchdog and uh, his uh, motivator as we went through those last five miles. And he was really tired, but um, we all, we uh, entered the stadium together and the crowd thought it was going to be a horse race for the finish. Two people and only one spot left on the team. But I ran along with Jack until we got to the finish line, and I dropped back right at the finish so he could be the official qualifier. And to help my teammate qualify for the Olympics was just one of the greatest thrills in my life. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you got more reward out of that than had you passed him. Absolutely. Well, it's amazing how long-distance running can be such a system of time and energy management. You know, there's a real psychological game you have to play with yourself while you're doing that to uh, to keep from being out there in front of everybody or to keep just fast enough to uh, to be at a decent pace to, to place well. It's conservation of resources, whether you're just trying to finish a race of any distance or you're trying to run your best. Right. So is there a story about a time when things didn't quite go right in running? You know, we want all of our sports to, to go well and to uh, to be good experiences for us, but sometimes they just quite don't fill that bill sometimes. Oh, I had a lot of experiences um, along the competitive route, and uh, 
my uh, older son um, a few years back did a documentary uh, in following uh, athletes who were candidates for the 5K on our Olympic team. And as I watched his final uh, edit of that documentary, it's called 5,000 Meters, I was uh, apprehensive that he could get it right because having gone through that journey, it's just really a, a, a tough one. And to get the emotions and, and the ups and the downs that go along. But what he did is, uh, his name is Brennan, and what Brennan did is he let the athletes tell their story. And then he he spent just uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours editing so that, that it came out. And uh, the reality is that uh, out of every race that goes right, there are between uh, three and ten that, that don't go right. And, and you're just frustrated because you're in the same shape. And you wonder, why did that one go right? And, and these other ones didn't. And, right. and am I going down? Uh, do I have a chance? Uh, all of these things go through your mind. Uh, and I had a whole series of those things. And you put on top of that the injuries that come up and uh, uh, the uh, sicknesses and things like that. So my story is that um, I was actually in better shape during the next Olympiad, uh, and I really focused on the marathon for the 76 Olympics. Uh, I went out to altitude again. This time I chose Flagstaff, Arizona, and I was really getting in some uh, some really good training, but unfortunately came down with a very, very bad strain of bronchial pneumonia, and it got right into my lungs and knocked me out of training for five weeks out of the eight weeks leading up to the Olympic trials, and unfortunately... I couldn't recover. It took uh, that long to get that uh, pneumonia under control, and um, I really wasn't able to rebuild uh, enough. I ended up finishing ninth in the trials, but uh, it's one of those things, and uh, it's very frustrating because uh, I knew that uh, if I hadn't gotten sick, I would have been right up in there, but it's one of those things. You don't have a lot of control over some things. Yeah, unfortunately, you just have to deal with them. Pneumonia can really take you out for quite a while, too. That's terrible timing. Well, and and the other part of that whole episode was the um, character building that did occur afterwards. In other words, I uh, had to dig down deep and decide, what do I really want to get out of my running now? And you have to keep questioning this when you're a competitor. Uh, when you are in it for the fitness, it's pretty clear for most people. There's so many mental benefits from it that you find a way to get through those challenges, and then you go on to the next one. And uh, as a result of that, you uh, you find hidden pockets of strength that are there. And uh, I rebounded from that. I had another uh, good year the, the following year. Uh, and I didn't even set my PR until act in the marathon until actually four years later in uh, 1980. And it was as a result of coming back from uh, from that uh, that setback. 
yeah, to be able to rebound like that and uh, and carry on and do even better. It's great. So you started the oldest or currently oldest running uh, running store called Fadipides back in seventy three. You've taken that store and you've built quite a big business based on running. Can you take some time and tell us about? Your store, tell us about your online dealings and the, I mean, everything that you've been involved in. You've written many, many books and inspired many people to get out there and, and begin their running career. So tell us a little bit about Jeff Galloway. I had not had a lot of experience working with average runners, but, uh, because I was not an elite athlete until the, until basically I made the Olympic team, uh, a lot of average runners would come up to me and uh, were not really intimidated as they might be going up to Olympians and world record holders and so forth. So I, I had a rapport with runners, average runners that I actually liked a lot. Uh, but I thought I was going to be a school teacher and indeed I taught school for a year right after the Olympics. Uh, but unfortunately, um, the classroom was just not matched up with my personality. And um, uh, the classroom teaching was something that uh, didn't uh, work out well for me. So I retired from classroom teaching after that one year. And I uh, decided that I wanted to find something that where I could still teach, teach running, teach fitness. Uh, and a friend of mine uh, named Jeff Hollister was a number three employee at the company that became Nike. Uh, he and I had been friends from 1966, and he had started a Nike store. Uh, actually, it was called Blue Ribbon Sports, uh, in which they imported the shoes that are now called Asics. But uh, he uh, had a sports shoe store uh, that he opened up, and I uh, actually flew up to Eugene and helped him open that store. And uh, in the back of my mind, I sort of said to myself, if teaching didn't work out, maybe I can open a store like this. Well, I didn't want to do an all-sports store. I wanted to have a running store. And so... And when teaching didn't work out, uh, I put together the meager funds that I had accumulated. Uh, and I had actually been in the Navy for three years. I had a little, a little bit of money there. And with about, uh, $2,000, uh, I, uh, had a very modest, uh, amount of inventory that I put into the store. And, um, I worked very hard. But there were, it was really premature in 1973 to right. sustain a business off, especially business off running. So, um, in order to get people in the store, I started doing clinics to groups. Uh, I held, uh, clinics in the store. I, uh, set up training programs. I did, uh, running retreats in nice areas like Lake Tahoe and uh, Carmel, California, and places like that. And um, as a result of the innovation, I was able to s keep the doors open of the store uh, as the running population grew. 
But even more important to me, I learned how to relate to people. I was constantly looking for better ways to keep people injury free and to keep people motivated and to find tools that would give each runner control over what they were doing and to explain the process to them. And I have got to tell you, uh, I truly have found after now having heard back from well over 300,000 people over the years who have used my method, that it's possible for almost anybody in life to enjoy running and to get major benefits from it while staying injury-free. And by far, the greatest way to do that is to use the run-walk-run method. Yeah, well, you've built a, one heck of a following. So, you know, people really must be taking to it. And I, I guess it's probably working then. It works. And uh, I can tell you every day I hear from an average of around 100 runners, mostly by email these days. Although in my clinics, I'm solving problems, uh, you know, ongoing through those. But um, as people relate, back to me after I've given them advice, uh, it, it's, it's really uh, a wonderful thing to know that by adjusting the amount of running and walking, uh, almost everybody can solve the problems, the fatigue issues, the aches and pains, uh, the um, motivation problems, uh, with sometimes just very small adjustments. You feel better, you're stronger at the end, and that empowerment that you get from uh, steadily breaking through those endurance barriers is life-changing. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180tac.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. In his first book, Sydney to London, The Long Ride Home, Nathan Millward writes about his nine-month, 23,000-mile journey across the world on a 105cc postal carrier bike. However, that wasn't enough adventure for Nathan, so he again headed out on another adventure of 8,000 miles across America and wrote about that trip in his second book, Running Towards the Light, Postcards from Alaska. Pick up these two great books and get inspired to set out on your next adventure. You can find Nathan's books at www.nathanmillward.com, as well as the Amazon bookstore in your Kindle. Hi, this is Jeff Galloway. You're listening to Adventure Sports Podcast. You have the run, walk, run method. Um, I think you describe that in books, but you also have some various apps and you know stuff on your website. Where should people go to pick up this information? 
Uh, go to jeffgalloway.com. The apps actually are at low, low fit. The, the Galloway apps are there. Uh, but there are links to those on our website. And actually, we have a lot of links there. We also put on a wonderful race in December. It's the Jeff Galloway 13.1, and then there's a 5K that my wife um, sponsors the day before that. It's the 12th and 13th of December this year. But uh, we have a whole series of retreats at, on the Panhandle of Florida, uh, beautiful trails and, and, uh, and beaches to run on uh, in, at Lake Tahoe, California, and um, in Carmel, California. And there are a lot of one-day, uh, excuse me, three-hour running schools that I put in. I'm uh, going to Missoula, Montana in uh, just a, a couple of days, and I'll be putting a three-hour school there on Saturday. Uh, and by the way, one of my most exhilarating moments is about to occur. Uh, on Sunday this week, I'll be in Missoula on my birthday, July 12th. I saw that. Happy birthday. My 70th birthday. I'm going to celebrate by running my 200th marathon, and I cannot wait. That's phenomenal. Good for you. I think you're uh, obviously a testament that you know people getting getting involved in running and putting their heart and soul into it and maybe following a little bit of, uh, of your leadership there can, can push it, uh, make it a lifestyle. That's great. Well, I also want to offer a special for... Uh, the listeners of your podcast, a 15% discount from our store on our uh, website. Uh, just put in the code ADVENTURE. Oh, that's great. We really appreciate that. And hopefully that'll uh, provide a little extra motivation for listeners to go follow your methods and pick up some books and get started on their running career. I'm going to have to go in and see what I can find in there too, because maybe, maybe after talking to you, I can actually get back into some running. Well, there are an awful lot of tools on the website. Some of them uh, are at the store and others are absolutely free. So just going up there. And if you have any questions, Travis, you know how to get me. Just ask away because, again, there are solutions to uh, problems. And I feel certain that you'll be able to get back out there with the right amounts of running and walking. Well, that's good. That gives me hope. One of the topics I have to bring up is you were at the 72 Olympics, and as most of us know, those were that was a bittersweet moment. We, you know, everybody's there competing country against country. Everybody's elated to be there and to qualify to be the Olympics. But there was a dark side to that Olympics uh, with the terrorist activity and the unfortunate deaths of of Israeli team members. What was that like being in the middle of that? You're like I said, you're excited to be there. It's a huge accomplishment. And then all of a sudden you have this drop on you in the middle of it. Well, there, um, there were two movies made uh, about one of my best friends at the Olympics, uh, Steve Prefontaine, who, was, uh, who looked to be our best chance uh, before the Olympics of, of coming home with a medal. Uh, but uh, Steve Prefontaine, we called him Pre, the movie that um, that I like the best because it's uh, it's more accurate is the uh, movie that's labeled Prefontaine, and uh, that um, movie has a scene in it that is very realistic 
as to what happened during the games. Uh, after the terrorist incident, which was absolutely horrible and very depressing for so many athletes, uh, because they could identify with um, the uh, tragedy uh, that that uh, befell that team and, and the individuals. Well, after all of that, there were all types of emotions and there were conflicting ideas as to what should happen. There was even a movement afoot to uh, cancel the rest of the games in uh, the um, honor of the fallen athletes. Right. So we had a, a meeting, and, and I think <clears throat> most of the Olympic teams did. And our uh, head coach, Bill Bowerman, uh, got up there and uh, he uh, laid out some of the options and so forth that had been proposed. And then he just opened it up for discussion. And that scene in the movie Prefontaine, <clears throat> as I say, is quite realistic and it really does get into what the athletes were feeling at a guttural level. And uh, the overwhelming feeling was you can't let them take this away from us. Uh, you know, that they, they win if we cancel the games. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, uh, when, uh, when 9-11 occurred, I got those same emotions. When uh, the bombings occurred at the Boston Marathon, I got those same feelings. And uh, we have arisen stronger and more aware as a result of all three of those episodes. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I'll have to go back and, uh, and check out the, the movie of Prefontaine. Well, it, it's, it, it's a very good movie, not, not simply because it has a Jeff Galloway character in it, which it does, <laughs> but it has great casting of the role of Prefontaine. Jared Leto, who recently won uh, an Oscar and, uh, uh, Lee Ermey played uh, Bowerman and d did a fabulous job. Anyway, the, the acting was really well done in that movie. Oh, good. That's a good tip. So I was looking at some of the events that you hold around the world, and you do hold quite a few. Um, one of the ones that piqued my interest was the, the Phidippides run over in Athens. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, a little over 20 years ago, I was asked to come over and uh, be um, a, uh, an advisor, a coach, and uh, to provide some insight into the whole Phidippides story to uh, a tour group put on by Apostolos Tours. Uh, I went over there for 17 years in a row, and I have to tell you, it was a wonderful experience, having really lived vicariously the uh, history of Pheidippides because of my store, um, I was really in history heaven over there. And, and it was wonderful to learn so many things that were not in the textbooks. When you go to the museums and you talk to the Greek historians, um, but um, it's a great tour because the tour leader whose name is uh, Paul Samaras provide he takes care of everything so you can enjoy the experiences enjoy the run from the plain of Marathon to Athens you can enjoy the other folks there and it's every group has been just a, 
a really fun group of people and very interesting group of people. So I highly recommend that tour, Apostolos Tours. Really makes a difference. And then I also highly recommend uh, the tour that his niece puts together, which is uh, to, to the Rome Marathon in Italy in April. And that is just another well-put-together tour that allows you to uh, learn a lot, to be in a really great area of Rome, uh, right near a beautiful park to run in, and uh, just a whole lot of other experiences right there. That's great. How would you say that running or long-distance running is a benefit to society? Well, it's now the most exciting research, as I mentioned, is the research showing the benefits to the brain. And they are formidable and they are, um, there are new studies every year finding new uh, brain circuits turned on for the better uh, and for the, the hormones, the brain hormones that cause the brain to think better, to uh, actually grow new brain cells and um, to process things more quickly at any age. It's very exciting stuff to realize that if you keep your body active, your brain's going to stay active. And running has been shown to be the very best way to do that. Uh, so <clears throat> those of us who uh, would like to have not only a long life, but want to have a, a productive life and want to keep that brain working, you ought to think about running because it sure does do that according to the research. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just about muscular and cardiovascular fitness. It's about uh, mental fitness as well. The greatest benefits occur right up there on top. And uh, running tends to activate the frontal lobe, the human brain. Uh, if you have your uh, frontal lobe um, activated, then you can take charge over what it is you're doing at that moment for the next hour, for the next day. Well, I also wanted to point out that you are also heavily involved in a lot of charity fundraising events, uh, AIDS, breast cancer, arthritis, uh, a bunch of those. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I believe that uh, we as citizens need to help those who are experiencing challenges in our society. They, there is a natural need, and I've noticed this in runners that I've coached, uh, that as they continue to run, they develop a sense of wanting to help others. And uh, this is a wonderful thing to see. Uh, in my case, um, I have seen so many charities uh, attach themselves to running. And some of them uh, do a better job than others. Uh, among the very best is the Breast Cancer Marathon in Jacksonville, Florida, where almost every cent of the entry fee goes to breast cancer research and care for women that are underserved. Um, it's uh, really inspired by a woman uh, named Donna Deegan, who has fought off breast cancer three times and she is amazing, and uh, she has inspired all of us to uh, to put down a little contribution. And if we all 
put a little bit down there, we can really get rid of this this breast cancer thing. But it takes uh, research. And uh, so she has affiliated with Mayo Clinic. And uh, I don't know that there's any better organization in, in terms of uh, breast cancer research. And they are turning it out. They've made some major finds as a result of the funds that have come in from that race. It's held in February every year, and I will be down there to help out. And there are a whole host of, of other charities that I uh, have really enjoyed working with through the years. Uh, and um, you really feel so good when you're not only do, empowering yourself, but you're empowering others. One of the recent charities that I uh, support is uh, Back on My Feet. It's, it's an organization for homeless people uh, to do just that, to empower themselves. And they have so many success stories. It's just really exciting to see what's going on with running and how um, the attachment with uh, charities is really solving a lot of problems and helping people. Yeah, that's great to hear. You're doing excellent work there. Keep that up for sure. Hopefully we've inspired some listeners to take up running. You know, those have been maybe thinking about it and sitting on the couch while they're thinking about it. Do you have a few tips that you could give them uh, for starting out for the first time? Running does not have to hurt. You can turn on those wonderful brain circuits without getting into pain, uh, without puking, <laughs> and... Uh, without being exhausted. Uh, the key is to start from the level of activity that you're currently doing now and to gradually introduce the running motion to your body. The way we do that for beginners is uh, to only use uh, normally about five to ten seconds of running every minute and the run is more of a shuffle than it is uh, anything else. So by gradually moving into the running motion by also mostly walking, uh, you're going to allow the body and the mind and the systems, the organs inside your body to adapt to this running motion. And as a result of this, uh, you, you gain control over it. Um, so I would recommend starting off with no more than 10 minutes of running and uh, you're only running for ten second, five to ten seconds and walking the rest of the minute. The second week, uh, you could go up to 15 minutes, and uh, the third week up to 20 minutes, and the fourth week up to 25 or 30 minutes. And once you reach that level, then you could start fiddling with the amount of running, amount of walking. There are a lot of folks that never get more running then five to ten seconds every minute. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. You find the amount of running and the amount of walking that makes you feel good and doesn't hurt. And with that in mind, you're in control. You're the captain of your ship. Oh, very well. Those are good tips. Well, I'll make sure that I get your websites uh, and everything linked up, including that 15% um, discount for your site. We'll get those in the show notes so people can go find you there and hopefully start up their new running career. Well, I'm there for you. So if you ever, we have a free newsletter that you can subscribe to from the website. And uh, it has uh, tips every month uh, 
uh, it has uh, new um, uh, news about uh, the research and and how to make uh, running more fun and uh, nutrition tips, a whole bunch of information to improve the quality of life. Well, great. We'll have to look for those. Okay, so last question. We like to try to finish up our episodes with a funny story to to give our listeners a laugh before we wrap things up. Do you have one of those? Well, um, sort of a mixture of uh, a funny story, uh, and that is um, my my father. My father uh, started running when he was 52 years old, and he got into it quite heavily, and... uh, and ran uh, about 50 marathons uh, before he retired from marathons. But he had heart arrhythmia, and even though he continued to run, his doctor didn't really like him uh, past the age of 75 running marathons. Uh, <laughs> and, and so when he was 75, uh, he made a deal with his doctor that it, he would run three marathons in the last year, and the last one, was going to be uh, the Boston Marathon. Uh, so uh, this was 1996, by the way. And um, he and I had run a number of races together, but ha- we had never run a marathon all the way through together. So I said, look, I can't wait to run with you. I'm going to do this. And uh, we had fun. We uh uh, but what was uh, a, l- a little uh, gave me a chuckle all the time is that uh, he had a tendency to push himself too hard. And he was constantly coming up with some ache or pain or injury. But he was driven. He was a true competitor all the way through. And I would really literally have to hold him back by sort of getting him to settle down and take a walk break because he wanted to just push on through until he got exhausted. Uh, (laughs) So as we um, uh, approached the end of the race, the last three miles, uh, Dad was getting pretty tuckered out, and he was definitely, his walk breaks were taking longer and longer. And uh, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, fine with that. I I had no problem with doing that. Uh, He was frustrated because he really wanted to run more. Uh, So we turned the corner to go down the long street at the end towards the finish line. And he sees that that finish line and he takes off. And I have to tell you, I had to put it into overdrive myself in order to catch up with him and run on in with him. We crossed that finish line and it wasn't more than uh, 30 or 40 yards when somebody who knew us came up and uh, congratulated us and uh, and uh, my, asked my dad how he felt about the experience. <clears throat> and he didn't waste, he, he didn't um, waste any further thoughts on it. He blurted out right away, well, I could have run a lot faster if I didn't run with him. And I, <laughs> I did not disagree with that i never contradicted him but it was just such a joy and it was one of my favorite marathons of all time uh that's a great memory that's very cool well jeff thanks so much for giving me a a little bit of time this was a, a fun episode to record with you we will definitely get 
people off to check out your your courses and hopefully inspire some listeners to to pick up running? Well, above all, get out there and have fun. Sounds good to me. Thank you, sir. Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us. And don't forget to find the click to call button on the Adventure Sports Podcast website and tell us your awesome story about your amazing adventure. And don't worry, the voicemail is fully automated. You won't be talking to any humans. Adventure.